0: hello everybody welcome to the wolverine 24 7 podcast your audio source for all things michigan football basketball and recruiting i'm your host zach shaw steve lorenz here with me lots of stories over at the michiganinsider.com michigan.247sports.com plenty about basketball uh some football recruiting stuff and then and then when basketball's run ends there'll be plenty of spring football content as well of course we have lots of different podcasts here in the the michigan insider podcast network there's also the the Weekly Recruiting Podcast, there is the Tim McCormick and Sam Webb Basketball Podcast, and then there's us. We we try to, we talk about what the people are talking about. So right now, that's basketball. It'll be football much of the year, but but certainly hard to talk about anything else other than this basketball team. So in this episode, we're going to look at Michigan's first weekend in the NCAA tournament. They went 2-0. Uh, we're going to look at the most impressive part of the weekend, biggest cause for concern concern the significance of some history that was made this weekend for the Wolverines, what Michigan must improve between now and the Sweet 16 and even a little bit of early impressions on Florida State. So Steve Michigan went 2 and 0. They beat Texas Southern 82 to 66. They beat Louisiana State 86 to 78. What was the most impressive element or thing you saw from the Wolverines this weekend?
1: Uh, There's a few things. I think the biggest thing though, was during yesterday's game. I, so Chandy, right. But I think what, what I liked most about the outcome of that game and the way he, he specifically played and where I think he can make a big difference for them going forward. Still, he seemed to find something as far as, building confidence and in getting into the lane and, and, and scoring the basketball. You know, he's really been m- pretty much a spot up shooter for the majority. If, you know, kind of reminds me as he kind of had given me some Zach Irvin vibes as far as on the offensive end as a guy who like that. who could like shoot the ball really well from the outside. But like, I know like in watching him throughout the season, he just seemed to struggle a bit when trying to create inside the arc, right. And trying to get into the lane. I feel like that was Irvin's big Achilles heel was, uh, you know, maybe just his ball handling in the lane and just not knowing really what, but last night felt like in the second half, when he took the baseline a few times, which looked like it was a coaching adjustment on Howard's part was for Michigan to attack the baseline from there. Cause they were leaving it pretty open uh, seeing him make a few baskets down there. Interested to see if, if he does it again, next weekend because that really is a part of his game that we haven't seen a ton as far as him being the creator uh he's made you know he's made plays on the inside off cuts make passes i mean we've seen him you know make some some good putbacks and some dunks and stuff but looked like a little more assertive you know outside of just the three-point shot for him and again with livers not going to be back next weekend if at all you know, I think another guy that can get into the lane and, and do some damage, I think is, is makes him even more valuable than he already was to this team.
0: Yeah, no, I, and it was, I'm very happy for Sean D actually in the, just, you know, I don't really, I try to not care, but he is someone that's so easy to root for. And he had actually quietly had, um, I mean, I don't know what his expectations were heading into the season. He'll tell you, because he told me last night that, you know, as long as the team's winning, he doesn't care, but he had been pretty quiet. I mean, he had, he had a couple great games early on in the season. He had that one game against Ohio state, but other than that, he hadn't, it hadn't really been, I think a season that, you know, he had a lot of fun on the defensive end. He obviously was a big energy boost, but, but, you know, he's a scorer. That's what he was known for as a recruit. That's a lot of what he did for Wake Forest. And it can be really uh, frustrating, I guess, to see the ball not go through the through the net. I mean, he didn't score in his first NCAA tournament game. He, I think he only scored three points against Ohio State um, in the Big Ten tournament. So, I mean, he was kind of riding a bit of a at least scoring wise a cold streak and and so uh for him to come in and and i mean i guess stay level-headed in the sense that he he didn't i don't think he forced anything and then when michigan needed him more than they've ever needed him all season i believe there was a 10 to one shondi brown lsu run that, that changed the game i mean it ended the game essentially that it went from boy, Michigan's really in trouble here. They're going to need a hero to, oh, they found one. Now they're going to the sweet 16. So, um, yeah, in, in in Michigan's previous one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, he had been held to three points or zero points five times. So it had actually been, a. I mean, the mar- this March had not been one for him to remember, but now he has that March moment and... And that that never gets to be taken away. And I'd say the same thing about Eli Brooks. Brooks has been a little bit more effective as a scorer in the previous few games. And In fact, I actually thought he had a really underrated couple games in the Big Ten tournament and then also against Texas Southern. But um, him stepping up season high 19 points and and similar to Brown, it was when Michigan was kind of looking around like someone's got to score here. Or else LSU is going to run away with this game, and and he was kind of that steadying force. Uh, most impressive part to me was the the fight back. Uh, this is not meant to sound like a wet blanket, a dig, but boy, Michigan really. I mean, they've got a lot of players stepping up, but they they don't look, in my opinion, very close to what they were with Isaiah Livers, and and I think yesterday's. Game game um I think Michigan has that wrapped up by halftime if, if Isaiah Livers is on the court I mean even just so they can't LSU can't double team Hunter Dickinson so that they can't close out the lanes with with Franz Wagner I mean just just even like from a spacing perspective that I I think he could have not, not to mention the fact that he drops 13 points a night I think Michigan could have run away with a blowout win if it had Isaiah Livers on the court and so this is not a, this is not a full strength team. And I think it's showing, but I think I think there were three very critical spots where Michigan Michigan was kind of pushed against the brink yesterday and all three times they they clawed out of it. I mean, it wasn't pretty. They drew it was it wasn't like they rained 53s. It was drawing fouls. It was blocking shots. It was, you know, going up for for a rebound that you knew, you know, they might, might have taken an elbow to the to the head, or you know, kind of like the bumps and bruises that don't get noticed. Um, just a lot of a lot of effort. I mean, to, to me, that changed my perspective of what can be accomplished in weekend number two because I did expect Michigan to to win, but I think the way that they were able to beat LSU suggests that there's there's a little bit more pushback with this team than than maybe a a cynical person. Like myself would have expected, and so uh, you know, I, I think the team is admitting in press conferences that th- this is not a, this is not Michigan at 100 uh, percent or or running at full speed, but at the same time they're going to fight, and and that's really, that's what you need this time of year is you don't need to be 100 percent you just need to be literally one percent better than your opponents. So uh, to me that was the most impressive thing. Steve, I, any, any extra thoughts on, on the fight back? I mean, the Texas Southern game, I, I think there was, it was met with mixed reviews, I think by, by fans and, and media people. Uh, but last night's game, really hard to knock the fight that they showed because they haven't won too many games like that this year. Most of the games they win, they are up 10 almost the entire time so far this season. Uh, rare opportunity to see kind of the grit that they have.
1: And I thought they kind of stuck to their guns a little bit, particularly on the defensive side of the ball where LSU kind of ended up being what we thought they were as far as, I mean, you you to turn on the first five, six minutes of the game. You're thinking there's, there's no way that they're going to keep just dropping shots like this. It was one of those, it was a weird game where LSU was up by like seven or eight early when you'd argue that Michigan's shot selection was far better than LSU's uh, and credit to Thomas and uh, smart. I mean, those guys are probably pros uh, at some point. Thomas,
0: definitely. I think right. he'll be a first rounder. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know enough about smart to know if he's, but it looked like, looked the part last he night. Looked,
1: he looked like a pro last night.
0: Right. So, you know, I thought it was one of
1: those things where you, I think, especially early in a game, you know you're missing livers. You wonder when it, when it, your opponent is starting when they start out they come out hot making some ridiculous shots. You know if it can kind of you know put a little damper in your confidence or you know is, oh, is this going to be one of those type of nights or whatever? And and they it just felt like because that's the thing is like it was a game I think at least for most of the first half until Michigan really got it close and took the lead. I think it was one of those games where if you'd been watching it, you would have felt like Michigan was down by more than what they were. But like I said, I feel like they kind of just stuck to the game plan on both ends, came out in the second half. Again, sort of similar deal. Came out flat to begin the second half, but didn't deter them, you know, as far as their approach and, you know, just finish it off. I mean, it was, I, I do, I agree. I think the intangible aspect of this game is something that maybe in one way Michigan could use, we'll be able to use more going forward than the actual tangible like statistics and stuff from the game. I still can't get over, you know, they could have won this game by double digit against a team that turned the ball over only 3 times the entire game. That's in they averaged 12 they averaged 12 turnovers a game. And they turned it over 3 times and I want to say the first one was at what five, not till 5 minutes in the second half or something like like they didn't turn yeah. the ball over once in the first half, which is outrageous. Even though I know they play a lot of isolation ball but still uh, to not turn it over, you know, for what, a good twenty five minutes of the game is is crazy. Um, and so I think it is. We've talked a lot this year about Michigan winning get winning games in like totally different fashions. This did kind of feel like another new different way. I think we had mentioned this was sort of comparable to the Ohio State game. The one in Columbus where Michigan, you know, where they won.
0: Similar kind of team. Right. Like that they were facing too big guards they shot well, shot, shot, made shots that you didn't expect them to make. uh, And it was really fast paced as well. Right. So, you know,
1: I, so yeah, I think it says a lot about, and here's the other thing we talk, I've always is experience and backcourt play. And I know Mike Smith struggled yesterday, but Brown and Brooks played arguably both played their best game of the year, at least on the offensive end yesterday. Mm -hmm. And come tournament time, and you're seeing it across the country, you're seeing it in the, in the, where the, where the brackets are set right now. The teams that are having, that are playing really well up uh, in the back courts are, are the ones that seem to be dominating, looking like the teams most primed to make a run. So, you know, I think that's another area Michigan can build off of. But I think, yeah, I think that experience factor and just having guys step up at different points is, is huge because, we didn't see first-round Franz until, like, which, again, it was a, at a key point in the game. But you're talking mm-hmm. about a situation where, you know, you don't have livers, and then really Franz struggled for the first 30-plus minutes of the game. Yep. You're talking to Michigan, too, Michigan was winning against a team that a lot of people were picking to beat them yesterday. They like, got to bring that up, too, is, like, this was the kind of the hot, upset pick, you know, is that Michigan did this for 30 minutes without two of their three best players Uh, and, and still, you know, at the end of the game, last five minutes or so, they were pretty much in control. I don't really think it ever got to a danger. Maybe when Smith traveled, I guess it got to a little, it started to sweat just a smidge, but even then they were still up by six points. So um, yeah, it was was pretty interesting game.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Regarding the, um, the travel that was, I remember watching and being like, nope, I'm still going to keep writing my game story. Cause it, it, it just, uh, LSU Michigan deserves credit for this, but I think LSU also will be looking back and thinking, man, some of the shots they chose to make some of the rebounds they chose to, to not box out on they're a pretty good offensive rebounding team. And there were some that they just didn't, they seemed more in, intent on getting back, which was a little surprising because it was kind of like, man, probably could have gotten that one, but same time, Hunter Dickinson. Uh, that was reminiscent of Michigan's second game against Wisconsin to me, in where he was just rebounding every clutch rebound, and it was kind of it wasn't his best offensive game, but he was like, I, "I, it's fine. I'll, I'll get a bajillion rebounds and let someone else score." So, switching to the other side of things, the biggest concern stemming from this weekend for the Wolverines there are are a few directions to go I think uh, obviously everyone's talking about the Big Ten struggles certainly deflates Michigan's record just a little bit uh if if the Big Ten is indeed maybe not the conference everyone thought it was and and all the teams that they faced well none of them are in the Sweet 16 so yeah Michigan literally hasn't played a, a Sweet 16 team yet this year so that's part of it and then I think I think the, the officiating is another one that, that it's just hard. It's so hard to control. I don't have a super strong opinion on it, but, but clearly the officials are calling things a little bit tighter than the big 10 was throughout the season. And so that, that has to be something. I mean, that's just not Michigan's game in games that they have committed a lot of fouls. They also don't do so well, but, but Steve, in terms of the on court stuff, any, any, Anything from these last two games? It, it I know Franz kind of redeemed himself just a little bit with nine points in the final five minutes. You know, Shondi Brown snapped out of his slump. Uh, but any – what I guess what is the biggest concern for the Wolverines heading into the second weekend? So I,
1: I kind of had two. Hopefully one of them I'm not taking, one of yours. But um, my deal, like, I think Dickinson, like, needs to chill a little bit.
0: Um, in the sense of how he plays or his demeanor?
1: Well, both. I, I, it's like that one, the foul, the one foul he committed was like, that's inexcusable in the NCAA tournament. The, ter-
0: the chase down pickpocket. Yes.
1: Yeah. That is, they can't have that because him being in foul trouble can change everything for them. You have to avoid those. I feel like he had a couple, t- He's. I feel like he's been, good for a couple ticky tacks a game, you know, in the last like three or four weeks, you know, and he's got to avoid those. I feel like my sense is he was frustrated because I think he had been fouled on the other end on that play. And I think that was a frustration foul, you know, and he's, I think he is a young energetic guy, love the energy he brings, but I think you got to compose yourself a little bit more just because you're, you're that important to the team's success. Right. I mean, it's just, Everything he does for them, you know, it, it, it does. Everything changes when Austin Davis comes in there. Uh, Davis is still an asset for Michigan, but not somebody you want to ride for 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, it's just they're not going to go much further if that becomes the case. So I think he's got to avoid those kind of mistakes on the fouling aspect. The other one, too, maybe pertains more to this Sunday's game is, you know, Mike Smith really struggles against bigger guards. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's caused it caused some real issues for Michigan last night. And I know Florida state is built similarly, similarly. They to, don't
0: have a rotation player shorter than six foot four. There you go.
1: And so, you know, going to be really interesting to see how Smith kind of comes back from a game that he just seemed out of sorts uh, throughout you know that travel was just not a good, not a good basketball play. Um, but have trouble getting in the lane, though. You know, and so that's that's going to be interesting because that's that's one thing that I think we definitely want to be watching, and that's one area where I think you'd say, just based on yesterday. And I got the thing I can't remember is how Smith played against Ohio State, the two times they played. Although I guess CJ Walker's not like much bigger than him. Um, you know, but that he there's a clear pattern of him struggling against larger guards. You know, and that's that's, that's tell me if I'm wrong here. I Feel like that was one area where Simpson wasn't the um, liability that you'd normally think he was, given that there was always that height discrepancy. Is the difference was Simpson a little bit quicker, could still do things, uh, even if he wasn't scoring the basketball in the lane. He was still maybe getting past the defender to open things up for other guys. Doesn't mm-hmm. I haven't really seen that with Smith yet, you know? And so Sunday is in particular, it'll be another really fascinating matchup for him because you got to think he's going to want to rebound after what was he two for eight? Yep. Had a few turnover, like had a lot of turnovers, uh,
0: just one, one assist for turnovers. Yeah.
1: Like just wasn't effective. Uh, and so, and again, Michigan needs him to be effective. I know this, we're in the Sweet 16 now, so it's, you know, got to got to have your guys, your best players stepping up. And he's kind of the guy that a lot of people have talked about is, you know, he's got to be the guy to score the basketball. Or he was going to be the guy to replace livers in scoring the basketball. You know, and, and we don't – like the thing with Chondy is it has been hot or cold. I mean, you just – you brought the stats up earlier. I mean, he's capable of doing what he did yesterday, but he is also capable of, you know – struggling from the floor and not being a major factor on the offensive end. So I think more consistency from Smith is going to be, is going to be a must for them.
0: Yeah. I think I have to stick with Smith as well, by the way, just to correct it. He did have six assists last night, not one, uh, but still four turnovers, two for eight shooting. And, and you mentioned the Ohio state game. So he, I don't think anyone was harping on his Ohio state game the first time when they won, Uh, but he had 11 points on three for nine shooting with seven assists and a turnover, Uh, but one for four from two point range. But then the, the Ohio state big 10 semifinal game. Oh, for seven from two point range, one for four from three hit seven free throws uh, to get up to 10 points, but four assists uh, just Oh, for seven from two. I mean, that's, both of those numbers are are not good. So how
1: in those games, though, the, the only reason I brought up Ohio State was I wasn't sure is how often was Washington matched up on him. So that's what more of yeah. what my line of thinking was, is Washington being a much bigger guard, right? That's that was more why I brought right. up Ohio State before anybody.
0: Oh, I agree. And, you know, Smith is five foot eleven. So some of it is just physics. And that was always the the big question mark about him when he transferred to the Big Ten is, you know, he he'd. he'd pop up a, a two point, you know, mid range jumper and bank off the backboard and go in. And, and you're kind of looking around like, okay, what, how does that, sh- how does that play manifest against a Big 10 team? And he actually did, I think, better than anyone expected uh, against Big 10 competition. Yeah. But, but uh, you're right that one, the Big 10 d- didn't have a ton of, elite guard defenders this year and and two they didn't have a, a lot of six foot four six foot five guards like like what lsu and florida state two teams that have five star point guards who are six foot four or taller um that that's a different kind of battle so yeah i think i think smith's consistency is going to be really the probably the difference maker between losing next weekend and maybe playing in the final four. Um, and I don't think he needs to be a 10, 10, 15 point a game scorer, but he can't have five points on eight shots. He either needs more points or fewer shots. And, and I think both are fine. They, they sh- they've shown that they have scores. They've, sh- you know, Eli Brooks, I thought um, has, has continued to step up in Isaiah liver's absence, you know, Franz Wagner, He's probably the other big question mark is, is can they get the nine points in the last five minutes of the game were, were fantastic for Michigan. The six points in the first 35 minutes of the game, well, that's why the game was as close as it was. I mean, if he has a, you know, 15-point game in those first 35 minutes, they're they're up double digits almost the entire second half. So you know, I think Franz is, is – it definitely has – some hurdles to clear in terms of being consistent, but I think Mike Smith, I, it just, the shot selection remains maybe suboptimal because sometimes it's fine. And I, I, cer- I certainly saw a couple times last night that he, he almost took a shot, passed it off and then someone else hit a three. So, so I don't think he's like blind to it, but some of those, it, it's, it's a lot of plays that I think John Beeline would have lost his mind about, you know, like, Dribble it up, drive two feet into the in, in behind the three point line, throw up a mid range shot that's contested, it bricks, and you w- only spent five seconds on the shot clock. And it's kind of like there had to be a better shot available somewhere on the court. So I don't mean to say like he shouldn't shoot, but I, I think the shot selection, along with the, I guess, consistency in running the offense. Is important because I do think Michigan's defense is a is good enough overall. That say, I mean Cam Thomas, you know he scored what twenty three points, and oh sorry, uh, thirty points, and and they won by almost double digits. So I think they can live with with the defensive lapses, obviously to some extent, but I think it's the the offensive stuff. Uh, just some of those possessions were giveaways, and it and it seemed like a few of those times it was when Michigan had this momentum when players were heating up shooting and and suddenly the balls being dribbled out of bounds or or it's or, or there's a pass that's going right to LSU. So yeah, to me that's that's maybe the one domino that still has to fall in order for me to say Michigan looks like a Final Four team is does Mike Smith look like a final four point guard because without Isaiah livers, you know, they probably have a fi- final four center. You know, you could probably argue Franz and, and Shondi Brown, and Eli Brooks. That's a nice guard wing nucleus. Brandon Johns is, is holding his own. I thought he had a, an understated seven points and five rebounds last night. Uh, but, but yeah, I think the point guard position for as much as Mike Smith has accomplished this season, I, I do think there's something to be said. Can it be done against a big time and a NBA draft caliber six foot four point guard? We're gonna hit a quick break on the other side. We'll we'll open it up toward big picture stuff, and next week we'll look at the significance of the history made by the Wolverines last night. Uh, we'll look at what Michigan can realistically fix between now and the Sweet 16. And then we'll also look at that first Sweet 16 opponent. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.
0: Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back. Thanks for waiting. Let's get back to the discussion. So, Steve, a couple history-making anecdotes from last night's Michigan 1. It's nation-leading 20th ncaa tournament game in the last eight ncaa tournaments michigan has played in seven of them in those eight years they have made six sweet 16s i believe that also leads the that's tied with gonzaga for most in the country and then four straight sweet 16s is setting a program record so steve i don't know how you want to discuss all of those different anecdotes but i guess i'll I'll go in this direction Of those three, and maybe there's another one that I might have missed, uh, which one is the most meaningful or most impressive when discussing the run that Michigan is on right now?
1: I'm thinking the Sweet 16 streak. I think it's the best indicator of consistency. You know, because the tournament is, is – yeah. the biggest thing is the tournament is so matchup dependent, and we're seeing it this year. We see it every year. You know, I think the fact that they've been able to get to the second weekend as consistently as they have now under multiple coaches, I think just says that, you know, it, that Michigan's the foundation as a program, just the program in general is, is in a really good place, you know, because that – especially from a coaching standpoint. So I think one thing you notice – you know, every year. You know, not so maybe not so much this year. Maybe this year's a little bit more the outlier. But it always feels like you know the game's best coaches. I know some a lot of them have the most talented teams too. But they're still mm-hmm. like the game's best coaches always seem to find a way to to make tournament runs. You know, every year that goes for a lot of programs. You know, I mean, if you look at here's Syracuse again in the second weekend, right? I mean, they barely made the tournament. Oregon. Oregon, yeah, Dana. All Oregon, yep. yep, exactly. So it's like, and you've seen it in the past with, well, even like state, you know, has made runs mm-hmm. as an eight and nine seed in the tournament. Uh, obviously, the big ones, Duke, Kentucky. I think what they say, Roy Williams was twenty nine and zero in the first round of the NCAA tournament until they lost to Wisconsin. Wow, that's 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 really impressive. This is what kind of stat is that? You know, so <laughs> so I think what that also says, at least you know, again, Howard. You know, I don't know if one year really uh, puts puts him in like a, some kind of category. But at, but at the same time, you know, Michigan to do this under two different coaches, I think, says a lot about where the program is, where the program is headed, and you know, that's the expectation now. I think at Michigan, right? Uh, feel like a, I feel like I feel like if Michigan was to lose on Sunday to Florida State, I think people will be disappointed in the outcome of the season when 10 years ago, the sweet 16 appearance would have been the greatest thing. You know, uh, it would have been huge. Right Now it's the expectation. So I got to go to the sweet 16 stuff just because there's so many variables, in the NCAA tournament, you know, so many things that can happen in in a given game. And it is one game and you go home. You know, I think the fact they've done it as consistently as they have is it's impressive. I mean, six of eight years to get there. um, That's yeah, that's really good stuff.
0: Yeah, I think it, it actually means an awful lot. And, the, and the, the element that I would add to what you said is how many different starters were on those six sweet 16 teams, because it's not like, and this isn't to take anything away from teams that happen to return starters, but you know, like Wisconsin, they made back-to-back final fours. I mean, it was almost the exact same team when, um, You know, when some of these, like the Villanova, Virginia, Oregon made a couple of Elite Eight runs in a row, I think, is a lot of the same core. Now, I think 2018 and 2019 were similar teams. Uh, I think the only players they lost were Mo Wagner, Duncan Robinson, Muhammad Ali Abdul rachman But think about this team. I mean, compared to the 2019 team, I guess Eli Brooks was the lone remaining not only remaining starter I mean Austin Davis wasn't playing a ton with that 2019 team I mean you're talking about basically an entirely different roster at least especially with Isaiah Livers on the bench and you know the 2018 team was significantly different from 2017 so it's I mean all the different players that they've cycled in and really it seems like almost every year they lose three of their top four scorers everyone puts Michigan outside of the top 25 and then they climb back in. And, and so to me, I think, I think it's very significant. Um, I, I, I would say the 20 NCAA tournament wins to me, that's coaching. That is a, and I, and I think that's beeline and Juwan Howard, but I think that's, that's a coaching staff that understands that doesn't make excuses that doesn't pat itself on the back before it, it's supposed to, that understands that your team can still get better in February and March. Uh, cause 20, I mean, that leads the country. No one else has 20 in the last eight years. Now, if you go last nine years, yeah, Kentucky has more cause they won the title the year before. So it is, we are picking, we're Easter egging a, a relatively arbitrary year. Uh, but I, to me, I think after Beeline lost in the first round in 2012, I think he really reflected and was like, okay, one, his team got better, but two, I think he also really reworked how he did his game plans, how he did um, his his NCAA tournament preparation. And then when Jawan Howard came, you know, I don't think he, I don't think there was a lot of arrogance on his end. I think, you know, he kept Sidey Washington, he kept John Sanderson, and I, I don't think he was closed-minded to, hey, whatever Michigan's doing, it's working quite a bit, uh, especially when it comes to the NCAA tournament. So to me, I think I think um, it, it's really a culture thing. You know, both Be- Beeline built it. Uh, Jamon Howard style or styled it in his own direction, built his own culture. But it, but there's a lot of similarities, a lot of parallels, and the the art of overachieving, they've perfected it because now this year I think they were expected to make the Sweet Sixteen since they were a one seed, but a totally different team from even two years ago, which was a totally different team from even two years before that, which was a totally different team from three years before that, which was a totally different team from the year before that. I mean, you're talking about basically five completely different teams, all making a run in the NCAA tournament. A couple of them have ended in the Sweet 16. A couple of them have ended in the national title game. We'll see what this team does. But yeah, it's... um. They're in a, they're in a very impressive place. And, and I think Michigan fans should be, I mean, enjoy it. Cause a lot of teams are, are, are wishing they were in the sweet 16 right now. And I, I would argue that, um, uh, you know, there are some teams in the big 10 that, that spent the whole year thinking they were final four contenders and, and they're watching Michigan from home next week. Speaking of, watching Michigan, you know, next week, what is something we, I know we just talked about the biggest cause for concern. Let's try to focus on what Michigan can control, but looking ahead to reflecting on this past weekend, looking ahead to next weekend, because you can't control X player shoot better. What is something that Michigan most needs to, or most can improve on between now and the sweet 16. Ooh,
1: that's kind of a tough one. Um, not because there's not things there's, there are things. Okay. So it's not, okay. Not, it's not about shooting uh, X player shooting better, but I think just in general, I think Wagner needs to assert himself a little more earlier in the game. He's kind of come out passive in both of these games, at least at the beginning, you know, and it's like, I don't know if like there's a, if he's like, cause you know, I I don't know if it's like something that runs in the family. I don't know if you remember. I always felt like Mo was a guy. If he came out of the gates playing well, watch out. Right. I always felt like he was a guy. If he started off well, got a couple baskets, got going, gotten a rhythm that he was going to be a problem for 40 minutes. And it feels like Franz is like sort of similar in that, he'll make like a big play. And then all of a sudden he's scored three of the last four baskets and and made a big defensive play on the other end. It just feels like a guy that, you know, almost like a quarterback, you want to get him into rhythm. You know, I think that's one area where maybe, maybe Michigan wants to make a concerted effort to get Franz a couple of early baskets against Florida state, you know, and see where that kind of see where that kind of takes him for the rest of the game, because he, I, to me, he's come out a little passive, you know, particularly yesterday and, until he turned it on. Cause like I said, all of a sudden he had like, how many points he you have in the last six minutes of the game? Like nine, nine. Yeah. nine, of his
0: 15. Yeah.
1: So, you know, cause he is, he's a guy that can take over a game on both ends. And again, he was great defensively again yesterday. I thought his stop on Thomas late was one of the most important, uh, sequences of the entire game. I think it's really, it's what sealed it. So that that's probably the biggest thing for me. Um, besides that, and again, there's, I guess, there's another one you're not really sure if you can control. It kind of depends on whoever's officiating, but avoid some of those ticky tack fouls. Uh, Hunter's not the only one that has been given them. I think Chaunty had, had a couple Yeah, Yeah, had
0: had four right a
1: yeah. couple of them were totally avoidable uh that's just that overly aggressive you can just see the w- referee waiting to blow the whistle uh, and so i think that's another area where again to be fair they only in the, i mean the second half was and that's the other weird thing and the, the thing you can't predict about the tournament uh the second half seemed to be called completely differently than the first half was i think uh-huh. both teams i mean granted you know michigan had 10 plus in the second half they i think they had like three or four total in the first half. So, you know, can't control that, but you can control some of those avoidable ones. And I think last few games, Michigan, it's felt like they've committed a few fouls each half that probably really could have been avoided.
0: Yeah. By the way, 11 first half fouls, 24 second half fouls. I don't, I mean, if you take away, how does that happen? Okay. If you take you know, away a few that were like the end of the game, got to stop the clock type ones, it's it's still lopsided. I think that's relatively common in college basketball. I don't have a stat to prove it, but I've always had that hunch where um, everyone's trying to avoid fouls in the first half. And then I th- think the refs kind of subconsciously self-correct. They're like, that was really not a lot of fouls in the first half we gotta, we gotta tighten this up a little bit mixed with teams defending a little bit. Cause I pointed this out on, on Twitter at halftime, you know, Hunter Dickinson, Austin Davis, zero fouls in the first half. I said, that's going to give them and Brandon Johns as well. And my takeaway was that's going to give them the freedom to defend a little more physically in the second half. I think that's, I don't know explicitly if Jamon Howard does it, but I know other coaches tell they're big men to defend differently in the first half versus the second half. The first half, a lot of it is about avoiding fouls. Second half, it's a little bit more about stopping everything you can try to stop. And that's where those ticky tack fouls, that Dickinson committed, it kind of erases 20 minutes of defending differently. You know, when, when you are trying to pickpocket a guard, who's like six steps ahead of you, when yeah that was a that was a very weird one I'm sure he is aware that it was not the right decision on his part um but you know that that uh, he might as well have committed a foul in the first half on a block so it's uh it it definitely is something I think Michigan should be coaching is I think they need to be you know the big 10 kind of notorious for not having a ton of fouls. Um, you know, the big 10 is not, it's not the, it's not the sec. It's not the, um, Southwest athletic conference. They don't, a lot of stuff gets away with. That's why it's known as a very physical big man, dominant c- conference. And so it is something that teams have to adjust to. I believe beeline's teams have had to adjust it to it too. I think this team has to adjust a little bit more because Uh, Hunter Dickinson is such a what I would call a traditional big man and so that's yeah defending without fouling I think you know someone like Shondi Brown it's been a few games now that he's had foul trouble so maybe it's maybe it's a small correction because I don't think you want him to stop doing the in-your-face defense that he's been doing but you're right the hand placement when there is contact and and I will say that one three-point foul, I I do not, you know me, Steve. I roll my eyes every time you you say that foul was you know garbage or whatever. That one was garbage. I mean, he literally, I, I do not believe that there was contact and and Cam Thomas got three free points out of it. So um
1: why do you know, it, roll your eyes
0: every time I say that? Pretty much. I why I
1: really I don't really Care feel about like I feel like it goes. See that I don't. I, I'll never understand that. It, it has such an impact on the game. Like it, it you can't. It's.
0: I understand. There's 150 can, possessions in a game. You can do so many different things. It's not I, like the I, officials. I like, do you think the officials are against Michigan? That's not at all what I'm saying. okay Don't even go.
1: Don't even oh, go that hey,
0: route. I was asking. I wasn't putting you words in your mouth. No.
1: <laughs> I be. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't think. Sometimes I think when you talk about not to pick on Dickinson again, but sometimes – you wonder, though, with the demeanor that sometimes
0: it, like, doesn't help. It really felt like Mo Wagner got that treatment, actually. Right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Mo definitely did. But, no, it's not if they're against Michigan. Sure. Like, it's because there were – you know, they missed a clear – you know, Brown went out of bounds. I mean, there were a couple iffy – there's a couple iffy calls both ways. Uh, yeah, just – I, it it just, to me that I just, it matters so much. It's such a factor, but nobody ever wants to talk about it. Um, It's because it just comes off as like excuse making when things don't go right or whatever, but man, the way a game is officiated can just can change a team's chances in, in the snap of a finger, you know? And so, like I said, I think in some ways, Michigan, not helping themselves in that regard. Like I said, I, I always wonder when, with guys who are more animated in general, are they more conducive to getting a whistle in a situation where sure. maybe they wouldn't have been otherwise, but, um, you know, I, I, just, yeah. And I, I do see the the point of the officiating in the second you know, teams are playing a little more tentatively. They don't want to get their guys in foul trouble, but, uh, it just, you know, and it's definitely not only that this game yesterday. I mean, I watched, I think the worst game I was Wisconsin, Iowa at the end of the year, it was just like too much of that ref show crap. And, uh, my only hope, the only hope you want is that going forward, whether it's Michigan or anybody else, that some garbage doesn't cost somebody a game. And I, you never in a close, tightly contested game, it's always a possibility. So, mm-hmm.
0: that's no, I, I'm done. I, I agree from, I agree with the genesis of being frustrated when a call is bad. I think my, my thing that I always kind of roll my eyes at is like, um, you know, Michigan fans more so do this than, than necessarily anyone in the media but it's it's like no one no one ever unless it's like very very painfully obvious no one ever says oh that was a bad call that benefited michigan i mean to down the stretch lsu went up for several shots and just got bodied and they got knocked over and those were calls that were definitely made earlier in the half or in the game and there was no call and it was almost like the refs Felt like they called too many fouls, and then they reeled it back in in the final five minutes, and then that's when Michigan kind of got to start to pull away. So anyway, my thing is, I don't think there's any officials with with HD television with the slow motion replay. I don't think there's any officials that are going to be good enough anymore. So you just have to play better. I mean, it's just like figure it out. The 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 officials are not going to be against just your team. I don't think any officials going into a game like well, you know, (laughs) time to screw Michigan today (laughs) or anything like that. So it's, um, I've always felt like there's too many possessions, too many opportunities in a game to overcome a couple bad calls by the officials. So that's where the eye roll comes from. It's not, it's not necessarily that you're wrong. It's like, well, it'll probably even out. And if not, then whatever, Michigan could probably still win. So it's, it's uh, it's it's always been something that I'm. It's not my, it's not my topic of choice. You think? I guess. Do you
1: think Michigan fans in general maybe are more sensitive to officiating, considering the the spot, the block? You know, but every Trey every Burke, fan
0: base has that stuff.
1: Do they to that? Like those are like, those are two like I, I, maybe just those, but those are like two plays that really could have changed the course of um, both of those uh, respective teams seasons. I know you go to any message board in our network though. It's always the officiating's fault, right? That's I mean, what I,
0: I feel. I mean, I so, think every team that isn't winning a national title probably has a play here and there. Now, I think one thing for Michigan where maybe it's a little bit more sensitive is they have been close in multiple sports. You know, I, I, I think if you ask the right Michigan hockey fan, they're probably still mad at a couple non-calls in the, uh, in the 2011 national championship game. And so, um, you know, it's, but yeah, I I think I've found could be wrong. I found every, pretty much every passionate fan base feels the same way. I mean, I watch uh, some of our reporters for other big 10 teams and it's like, they, every tweet they do that's like, oh, that was, a I don't know about that call. And they get like 400 favorites on it. And it's like, okay, this is like, this is just how fans are. So it's, um, uh, it is what it is. I don't, you know, it's part of the fun, I guess, but, but I do agree. I hate when officials do the, oh, we didn't call enough fouls in the last five minutes, we need to call a bunch more here. Well, sometimes
1: that's what it feels. It, it
0: feels like there's like a, it quota. felt like that last night like, a little like, bit, didn't it? It's like yeah. they got to
1: reach a quota or something. You know, it's <laughs> like, cause it's like, yeah. Cause that's exactly what you say is like, you'll see a couple, you know, where it's like, where, 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 was that? You know? Yeah. The first half we saw, saw that play five times nobody got whistled, you know? So. um. All right. Yeah. We found
0: some middle ground. Okay. Right. No, All no. Right, hey, here we go. hey,
1: I just, you know, yeah, whatever.
0: And uh, glad anyway, we talk about it. Yes, found 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 some peace. Um, I agree though. I I do think Michigan needs to to work on that because calls are games are called tighter in the NCAA tournament. They just are. I mean, it's I don't know if refs are trying to prove their worth or maybe it is just better refs. Uh, you know who who see things that other other um refs might have missed in the heat of the moment for some reason or another games are called a little tighter and i i think the reaction from dickinson you know it's kind of like uh uh like in baseball how umpires love to call strike three on a full count when someone thinks it's a walk and they start heading to the base and they love to like bring them back and it's like you it's it, you know they kind of like you punk thinking that you got to walk that's a that's a strikeout and you know little things like that um I could see it and and ultimately I, I really just think it's it's a crash course or a refresher on hand placement when on defense um because because you're gonna you're gonna commit fouls it's not like a team's gonna get away with no fouls I mean I think last night LSU ended up finishing with 20 fouls compared to Michigan's 17. So it, it's gonna happen, but certainly I think coaching a team to avoid avoid the ones that put your best players on the bench in key moments. You know, Franz Wagner got into foul trouble as, as well. I guess maybe not quite as much. He only had three, but um yeah, you don't want, I mean, optimally speaking, you don't want Franz Wagner on on the bench and during the key stretches. LSU's taking a lead and you don't want Hunter Dickinson to have to stop playing tough defense because he doesn't want to foul out. So um, that's certainly one. I think, I think another one would be, uh, you know, it just kind of feels like on the defensive end, just closing off some of those, some of those driving lanes felt like Texas Southern actually got a few granted. They were after Michigan had built a lead kind of weird, a weird game to analyze. Uh, But then LSU also just seemed to get to the rim a little bit more than, than you would think. Uh, I believe they had 19 shots at the rim. Maybe that's normal for LSU, but I feel like that's higher than normal for Michigan. They all season, they were pretty good at pushing teams away from the rim into the mid range shots. So last segment here, Florida state, quick peek at the Seminoles. This is their third straight sweet 16 and, and they I think we're uh, probably going to be a two seed in 2020. So Leonard Hamilton really finding his stride in Tallahassee. They're 18 and six. They struggled a little bit against UNC Greensboro, 64 to 54. And then Colorado, I thought I didn't see the whole game because there was at the same time as Michigan, but I thought that was a really impressive defensive performance with some late offense to make it look closer to a blowout. Steve, early impressions of Florida State? A lot of tweener, like long, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Scotty Barnes. Yeah, they are number one in the country in average height. Interesting. Scotty Barnes, former five-star recruit,
1: watched a little bit Mm -hmm. on him throughout the season, is not your typical five-star recruit as far as not a guy that needs that that is looking to score 20-plus a game feels like a guy that is pretty really real asset to them all around. Do you see a little Franz Wagner in yes, this game? yep. The other guy uh, that he kind of made me think of, at least for incoming, is similar to how Caleb Houston plays at Montverde. Uh, as far as, like, just a guy, yeah, like, does, you know, again, you see five-star, you think one and done, which he he's probably still gonna be, right? I mean, he's he's really good, but you know, all dunks and threes and you know scoring forty points or whatever. But like Barnes, just feels like a really good all around basketball player uh, and a guy that can beat you in more ways than just putting the ball in the basket. So yeah, I definitely see some Wagner similarities in that regard. That's probably I was is that that'll be the matchup, right? I mean, that's probably who. Well,
0: that's a good question
1: because, you know, like that's who, yeah, that's, the, that is kind of <laughs> maybe Michigan's biggest, this even more than yesterday uh, might be a game where Michigan wishes they had livers, right? I mean, they wish they had livers for all these games, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how effective Brooks and Smith are going to be. Um, I know their big man is pretty solid as well, but what had five fouls in 12 minutes hmm. yesterday. I think he fouled out. If I recall, he
0: had five fouls in 11 minutes.
1: Yeah. Um. So you got to think Michigan can maybe attack there. You wonder with their size, if they feel like they can just one up on Dickinson or at least try too early. That might get him a few easy baskets, but mm-hmm. you know, that that's yeah. They're an interesting team. Uh, it's, they feel a little similar to the Florida state team that Michigan played in the elite eight. I mean, they don't really have yeah. like a superstar, you know, Barnes, probably their best NBA prospect, but as far as like, the, there's no, there's not a cam Thomas that it feels like they're going to have to deal with. You know, they just seem like an all around kind of cohesive uh, group, which I think again, much like LSU could either be a good thing or could be a bad thing. You know, maybe not a guy that you can count on to score 20, or 22 every night. That could be a good thing if everyone's on, but if you have a couple guys off, their offense could really, I mean, start to struggle.
0: Yeah, I guess my my first impression, just looking at their season, really the reason that they aren't a two seed is they they laid three eggs this season. They lost to Central Florida. Team Michigan blew out easily. They lost to Central Florida by double digits. They lost to Clemson, who made the tournament, but wasn't like an amazing team by double digits. They lost to Georgia Tech twice. Those were closer games and Georgia Tech did make the tournament. But then the, the, they lost a stinker to Notre Dame to close out the regular season. If they reverse those Notre Dame and UCF games, I think there are two I think they're in the same or in a similar boat as maybe Alabama, uh, you know, kind of in that two, three, seed range and maybe like a West Virginia. It really is just a couple of those, those eggs. Cause this is a very good team. I, I think, you know, MJ Walker, former, I believe a former Michigan football wide receiver offer, but obviously yes. he was a five-star five-star point guard, um, you know, senior pretty dangerous uh, himself. He's six foot five. That isn't a scorer like Cam Thomas is, but, but honestly, maybe to the Seminoles benefit, Bit. I mean, Cam Thomas, he scored a lot because he shot a lot. It, it was similar to maybe a Marcus Carr situation, it, although I think Thomas is a better player than Carr. But, yeah, a team that you know has four double-digit scorers um, really just seems like the, the whole team is full of guys who can play two or three different positions. So it's, uh, it's going to be tough. And I think the key early key for Michigan is they, they have to make their threes. Because Florida State, uh, they are number five in the country in field goal percentage allowed at the rim. They block shots at a top ten level in the entire country, and and they've got the size. I mean, they're going to block some of those driving lanes. They're going to they're going to close off some of those passing lanes. Big big opportunity for Hunter Dickinson. You know, I think, I think they, I think they are going to try to guard him one-on-one because they've got a seven foot one guy. And I'm going to guess Balsa Koper, Kopervica, who knows, uh, but you know, he's, he was a former high level recruit, seven foot one, 240 pounds. So that, that might be a one-on-one matchup, but I do think you have to make some outside shots in order to kind of clear the, clear the area for both those passes, those post-up opportunities and then drives to the, to the lane. So We'll find out more about Florida State. There'll be plenty of preview content, but the, I think my initial thoughts are: um, are this is I think this is going to be a, a much stiffer challenge than LSU. I, I don't even know if there is a comparison in the Big Ten for what Florida State brings. That's not to say this is the best team Michigan has faced all year, but but one they're up there too. I think the uniqueness of, I mean, their starting lineup is six foot five, six foot four, six foot six six foot eight, seven foot one. And then their second string is six foot six, six foot nine, uh, six foot eight, six foot nine, six foot eight. So it's just kind of like they, they can just roll them out, really. Uh, just everybody, everybody can play three or four different positions. Kind of similar. Maybe the biggest, closest comparison is Michigan. Uh, but Michigan just doesn't have the six foot five and six foot four guards. So going to be a very fascinating matchup. So do we... Do we ignore, and probably at this point, maybe we do,
1: but do you ignore the finish? They lost to North Carolina. They lost mm-hmm. to Notre Dame. They barely beat North Carolina in the matchup, the rematch in the ACC tournament, and then lost to Georgia Tech. You know, feel like those are teams that Michigan would beat, right? I
0: mean, but do we just well? Is everything okay, scrapped? Derek, is Michigan... everything scrapped at this point? Did Michigan not lose three of five to close the season and then also lose its leading score?
1: I don't think North Carolina, Notre Dame, and Georgia Tech are Illinois,
0: Ohio State, and maybe Michigan State, but um... Well, hold on. I agree with you on Notre Dame and Boston and they you know beating Boston College by 29. No, who cares? But is Georgia Tech looked pretty, I mean. It's hard it's hard to sit here and defend Ohio State, Illinois, and and Michigan State when they combined for one NCAA tournament win.
1: Yeah, I know, but we we just talked earlier about the tournament being about matchups. I think in a vacuum, I think especially Illinois and Ohio State are are better than definitely better than Georgia Tech, North Carolina, obviously Notre
0: Dame. I I kind of ignore but I kind of ignore the finish to to actually get to your question. I mean Two and three to close out, but then they, they beat Colorado and in Colorado had won six straight, or I think they, they made it to the PAC 12 title game. They won four straight to close out the season. I mean, they were, they were not sitting in the NCAA tournament field and got red hot, beat a pretty red hot Georgetown team. And then turns around and gets blown out by Florida state. So, um, I kind of ignore the finish. I I do think they are susceptible to some duds though, and that goes back to the UCF and Clemson losses as well. Is you know this is Michigan. I think has done a really nice job this season of avoiding stinkers. You know they they I don't think they lost a they lost one game when they were healthy. You know the, when their starting five was in the lineup, and and even when their starting five wasn't in the lineup, they've they've been pretty steady and I think beating LSU the way they did shows that they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to overlook teams. It's certainly not going to overlook a team in the sweet 16. So um, Florida state's capable of duds. I still think they're pretty darn dangerous. Well,
1: there's no doubt they're dangerous. I mean, it was a legit question. Do you ignore the, yeah. Cause it's, it wasn't so much, it's not even so much about, like, the, the 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 amount of – is just, like, who they lost to. So it feels like, you know, Michigan better than those teams for sure, mm-hmm. you know. So, I just uh, – this just feel like another game where many are going to pick against Michigan and they come out and win. Is this Michigan team – this is one thing I always like. Is this Michigan team capable of what I always call, like, the classic – beeline team performance where they just come in and just obliterate somebody. You know, I think, a, I think of A&M.
0: Yeah. Florida, Florida
1: you yeah. know, we're like, they, it felt like they just, I don't know what it was, this is it. Was, was it um, well, VCU, that same tournament run against Florida, the same one the same year as Florida. You know, I think a lot of team, a lot of people picked VCU. Uh, if I, in that game, if I remember right. Cause of all the problems that they're, you know, the, the shock of smart defense would cause and Michigan came out and, blew the doors off of them in that game so you know is this mission is this team capable of hmm. a similar performance in, in a given i mean i suppose any team is but right <laughs> do you see that do you see that not necessarily even with this game but anything game going forward can they do that because that was oh. always one thing it's like it was it felt like every time they're in the tournament they there was one game where they would texas to bring up shaka smart again they didn't yep. you know a lot of people were picking texas in that game like um, can this team do it?
0: Yeah, it's uh, certainly they can. I mean, they've done it a lot this season. Think about the Wisconsin game. Uh, think about, is that the only one against a truly good team? Because obviously, they kind of ran Iowa yes. off the floor. Yeah, yeah, that's that's another one. Um, Indiana, I think, was one of those ones where it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I guess, guess that game's not going to be close. Uh, Maryland. Yeah, we're listing a lot of teams that either didn't make the tournament or kind of backed into the tournament, but still, um, definitely capable. I almost feel like, I don't know, I, 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 I still think this team is kind of not playing on strings, but they they I, I think they've lost a little bit of their identity without Isaiah Livers on the court, and I think they can still win games. They proved that but I think it's more of a scrap and fight team now, instead of a, we have Supreme talent. Let's just blow everybody out of this, you know, blow everybody out during big time play. I I just don't sense that vibe, but that is why they play the games, right? So we'll, we'll find out, uh, stay tuned, lots of coverage, including podcasts, but also plenty of written stuff as well. Throw us a, a rating, share, subscribe, if you, if you enjoy this podcast, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 7 podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.
1: The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to
0: the Shy? Opportunity.
1: Everybody get down! Walk right up to
0: the side.
1: A new rain is coming to the south side.
0: Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job.
1: The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.